are one body in Christ and individually members one of another. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. If prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. This is God's word. Thank you, God. You may be seated. Will you pray with me? God, we thank you for this time to come to your word. We ask, God, that you would, Lord, as Brandon prayed, that you would open our hearts and our mind uh, to receive your word as truth, that you would remove uh, distractions that we may feel, whether they're work or relationships. Um, God, we pray that you would really move in us tonight, that you would bring us humility, that your word would uh, really penetrate our hearts and uh, answer our questions even. Lord, we pray tonight for some of us that have uh, gifts of love, that you would confirm them and that we would, Lord, learn how to not only discover but develop and deploy uh, your gifts for the common good in the church. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. So we are in the core of our series, The Gifts, or The Gift, uh, The Holy Spirit, Spiritual Gifts, and You. Tonight, who's excited about being in, in the core of the series? We've got some power gifts in this place. I like it. That was good. See, depending on your interaction with spiritual gifts, uh, your teaching, your experience, uh, your understanding around them. I think that all of us are entering tonight and we're coming before God's word and uh, we're arriving with one of three interactions. The first is you have arrived and you are ready to take notes. How many note takers do I got in the room? You got your pen out, you got copious notes, you, got, you, you texted in on the back of your worship program, shameless plug, text in, there's sermon notes there, extra stuff, other goodies, text in and join us, follow there. You texted in, you're looking, you're going to take notes in your phone, you're ready, you're expectant. Some of you are here and you're inter- encountering uh, the spiritual gift series and tonight and you're coming with not only maybe a desire to take notes but you're also coming with a lot of excitement those who gave me the woo you are you wish you could say come on preach it amen some of you have told me that i want you to do it listen i like it some of you are like i've heard some of you say sometimes i want to say like amen but i'm like amen hey you could bring it out guys okay can i get an amen there we go I like it. We need so I like the response. We're in this together, you know. And now some of you, when you saw the gift series, and maybe you've been tracking with us, and you hear we're in the core of it tonight, and you have arrived with some skepticism, healthy dose of skepticism. You got a little scowl, kind of sitting in your seat, a little uncomfortable, and you're like, "What is going to be said?" And you're concerned. Maybe you've been raised in a tradition where spiritual gifts and teaching around it was either um, kind of non-existent or many of the gifts were ignored. Or maybe some of your teaching your convictions believe that certain gifts do not exist any longer. And so you're kind of wondering how we're going to treat and discuss some of maybe the more controversial gifts. 
Or maybe you grew up in a tradition where the gifts were manipulated and abused, and you had a really bad experience. It was a disturbing and confusing experience, and so you're arriving with some skepticism. You see, all of us come with kind of one of three reactions, I think. Skepticism, a lot of excitement, um, we're ready to take notes. But regardless of what we bring into this place tonight, you know, my prayer for us in this series, when we are planning it and as we've been going through it, is that we would come before God's Word and we would ask the Holy Spirit to really open us up, to humble us, and to help all of us discover, develop, and deploy our gifts. I think what is sad is when the spiritual gifts are either abused and it creates bad experiences in people and, and it's actually hurtful to the church or when they're overlooked. As we said last week, when you have maybe spiritual gift atheism or as agnosticism and you deny them and you just don't really think about them, no concern. That also hurts the church. So my prayer is that we would be a church that uh, thinks about these things and that the Holy Spirit is working and moving in our lives. So tonight, uh, we're asking the question, what are the spiritual gifts, which we addressed last week, and we're looking at love gifts. I want to give you a brief recap uh, if you are just joining us in the series and just kind of a refresher. We said last week that spiritual gifts are the only guaranteed place of power to serve from in the church for the common good. Very intentional sentence. If you're a note taker, you could write it down. Spiritual gifts are the only guaranteed place of power to serve from in the church for the common good. Two weeks ago, we talked about spiritual practices, and spiritual practices and spiritual gifts are different things. Spiritual practices are things open and available to all Christians. In fact, you have been encouraged if you're a person of faith, you believe in the life, death, resurrection of Christ, the gospel, you have been encouraged and commanded even in Scripture to implement all these different spiritual practices into the rhythm of your life. Practices like meditation and prayer and studying God's Word and corporate worship and confession and, and solitude. All these different practices that we've discussed and many others that we haven't. Because what they do is they bring transformation. They're guaranteed places of power for transformation in your life. Transformation doesn't happen immediately, but when you engage in meditation and prayer and reading God's Word and corporate worship, God will transform you. Your life, your heart, your mind, your desires your relationships. But spiritual gifts are different. They are unique. They are not open and available to everybody. As we looked at in 1 Corinthians 12, God has apportioned them to you. If you have come to faith in Christ, you have been given at least one, most of you, many gifts, and you didn't choose them. And they're not simply for your transformation, though they may bring about transformation in your life. They are for you to use to serve others in the church for the common good. So they're not given just for personal uh, worship. They're not given just for you to kind of hold on to and kind of gain some glory or some status. They're given to you to be used for the sake of others in the church. And they're different from other type of gifts that you have. So we all have gifts that we're born with, natural gifts. And we all have learned gifts, meaning gifts that we spend time developing. But spiritual gifts are different. You're not born with them. You can't develop them. They're given to you by God. We read in our passage tonight in verse 3 in Romans 12, Paul says this. The Apostle Paul says, For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think. 
but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. He's going to be talking about spiritual gifts, and he starts out by saying, do not think of yourself too highly. Do not put yourself on a pedestal over other people, because the gifts that you've been given have been given to you by God. You weren't born with them. You didn't develop them. You're not just really disciplined or mature in your faith. That's not why you have them. They're given to you by God for you to use for others. And in fact, the gifts that others have have been given to them by God. And so there's no hierarchy here. That's why he, he goes in the next verse and he says, remember, for as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function. So we, though many, are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. Oftentimes in Scripture, in the main passages that speak about spiritual gifts, it's tied to this language of being a member of a body, the body of Christ. One body, many members, different functions. I love that last line where he says, we're individually members of one another. You see, as we begin to discover our spiritual gifts and see them developed and we deploy them in the church, we have to be dependent upon the Spirit because it's not up to us and our maturity or our discipline. They're given to us by the Spirit and they're empowered in us, as it says in 1 Corinthians 12, to be used. So we depend upon the Spirit, but we have to be interdependent upon each other. You see, we are part of a body. We are many members that are connected, that have unique functions that are in accord with your gifts, and you're to use them to care for and to serve others. The whole notion of being an individual Christian and most of your faith and the, the kind of focus of your faith is really up to you. It's more personal. It's just about you developing your relationship with God on your own, and then you engaging with other Christians and with your local church. It's kind of like when it fits in your schedule, and uh, if you like it, that is nowhere to be found in Scripture. In fact, if you fall into that and you begin to live that kind of mindset and reality as our culture pushes individualism on you, you're going to miss out on what it means to actually walk in faith together. And all that God has, all the joy and all the power and all the meaning that is to be derived as we're interdependent upon each other. See, the church is a collection of individuals with a collective vision we are all a bunch of individuals deserving of dignity and respect and unique, but we come together and we depend upon each other because we have a collective vision that we're walking to together. And so we're using our gifts to serve one another for that end. And what that means is that we should be praying and desiring that this church, along with other churches, has a balance of gifts, that we're not skewed that we don't elevate some and kind of push down others, but that we have all the gifts represented and they're being used to serve one another in the church for the common good. There's three categories of gifts that we're kind of setting out, and this week we're looking at love gifts. Next week will be word gifts, and then in two weeks it'll be power gifts. And this is just to kind of help us frame the 21 gifts that we're going to be looking at and kind of developing. And this week, we're looking at love gifts, which is love gifts manifest the love of God in practical ways. Next week, we'll look at word gifts, which clarify the nature, action, and purposes of God. And then power gifts make the presence and reality of God known in the moment. 
This is what they're used for and really what they do, and they function together. Now, before we dive in, I want to kind of address a few things that I think we feel. When we look at all 21 of the gifts, and we have love gifts and word gifts and power gifts, as Paul warns again, sometimes we can kind of think more highly of ourselves because of the gifts that we have. Because we view some gifts as maybe superior to others. And maybe some of the gifts we look at and we say, those are kind of more supernatural. And like if you're really mature in faith, and sometimes you're, some churches may even tell you this, if you just pray more and have more faith, you can achieve these gifts. Well, that's not true. There are no hierarchy of gifts. There are no first-class gifts and economy gifts. That, that's not how this works. In fact, there are no supernatural gifts and natural gifts. This is a, a false worldview. Christians have a worldview that's called an integrated worldview, which means we do not separate the sacred from the secular. We do not separate the supernatural from the natural. Now, some of us may be prone to do that. We may separate sacred from secular or supernatural from natural. But our worldview, the Christian worldview, is integrated. Those things come together. We believe that Jesus was what? Both fully God and fully man. Divine and natural coming together. We believe that the Word of God is inspired by God. It is His Word. It is truth. It is authoritative. It is incapable of error. It is incapable of failing. It guides our life, and there is great power in God's Word. But we also believe God's Word was written by human beings who brought their personality and their experiences, their education, and their writing style integrated. Jesus says that when he returns, he's going to bring the new heavens and the new what? Earth. He doesn't just say when he returns, he's just going to bring the supernatural, the sacred, the divine. No, he says, I'm going to bring the new heavens and the new earth integration. You see, we don't separate secular and, sec and sacred and secular. We don't separate supernatural and natural. It's an integrated worldview. And the same is true of the spiritual gifts. Some are not more supernatural than others. The spiritual gifts that are given to you are integrated with who you are. God is integrating these divinely inspired, powerful gifts given from the Spirit to you, and they're integrated with, within who you are. You see, as you begin to discover which gifts God has given you, you may come to find that they fit nicely with who God has made you to be. You may see that they fit with your personality, they fit with your opportunities, they fit with your education and your passions, that your learned gifts and your natural gifts sync really well with your spiritual gifts. See, that's God's choice to do that, but it's important to understand that you do not have those spiritual gifts because of your personality or because of your education or because of the opportunities you have. So a way of think of it, it like, is like this. If, if you're wealthy or successful, that does not mean that you have the gift of giving. But you may. It may sink nicely with the way that God has blessed you. If you're a really strong communicator and you're confident and you stand up in your work and you're able to deliver a very clear seminar and presentation, that does not mean you have the gift of teaching. But you may. If you have a sharp mind very quick mind, that does not mean that you have the gift of wisdom or knowledge, but you may. 
You see, God may choose to connect gifts to your personality and your natural gifts and your learned gifts and your opportunities and your education, but it doesn't necessarily sync up. In fact, sometimes we push gifts away because we're like, wait, how can I have that gift? It doesn't really gel with who I am. But the Holy Spirit has given you gifts intentionally and for a reason, and he didn't make a mistake when he chose to give you certain gifts. You see, the reality is that we need to come to a place as a church that we value all the gifts, the gifts that God has given us and the gifts that God has given others, and we celebrate and encourage each other to use them because we recognize that we're to be interdependent. We need each other. We need all the gifts represented for the common good. That's why Paul says this in verse 6 of Romans 12. He says, having gifts that differ according to the grace given us. We have a diversity of gifts. Let us use them because we have a church and a body that is so full of many different gifts. We need to use them because when we don't, we function in a way that we shouldn't and we kind of elevate some gifts over others and it's dangerous. See, this happens a lot in the local church where one or two of the categories are elevated and another category, or maybe two of them, are kind of downplayed. So for instance, you may have a church that really elevates love gifts. They're very loving. They celebrate love gifts. They want everyone in their church to have love gifts. And so when you go to the church and when you attend the church, it is very hospitable. People are very kind. They're very welcoming. You are accepted. But oftentimes, if you have a church that elevates love gifts, sometimes they'll downplay the word gifts and teaching and truth. And so you may have a place that is just so loving, but there could be a little heresy there too. Then you have churches, and many of you maybe have experiences. I know I've been a part of a church that really elevated the word gifts, strong preaching, great leadership, wonderful Bible studies. Everybody was learning and discovering. Everybody had commentaries in their house. I mean, it was just everyone was studying the Word of God. But oftentimes those churches have very little love. Sometimes you can be in an environment where you're learning a lot about God, but it feels like God's not even in the room, right? Where you think to yourself, I don't think I could bring a friend to this church Maybe if they become a Christian and then they like are a Christian for 10 years, then they can come because there's not a lot of love. Then you can have churches that really elevate the power gifts. And I mean, this, there's anointing, there's visions, there's healing, there's all types of stuff happening. I mean, the presence of God is palpable. It's unbelievable. But sometimes the word gifts and teaching, correction is downplayed. And so for some, it may be like the presence of God is palpable and is, is present, but for others, it's really confusing and disturbing because there's no explanation and there's no guidelines and there's no kind of biblical checks and balances with the power gifts. See, we need all of them and we need to use them together. That's why we've been given them. There are no gifts that are superior, but there's a superior spirit who gives you the exact gifts that you're meant to have. And as you discover over the next three weeks what your gifts are, you're meant to use them for the sake of others. So one of the things I want to uh, address, because tonight we're just looking at four gifts, 
But I want to start, before we jump in for the next three weeks, uh, with some markers that can help you to determine which gifts you have. Because maybe you're asking, well, I, how do I even know if a, a gift has been given to me? Well, I'm going to share with you some markers right now, and I want to encourage you to write them down, to look at them, to, to think about them, and use them as a template to help guide whether or not the Holy Spirit is confirming a gift that he's given you. The first uh, marker or belief is that we need to be people that trust the Spirit. It's the most basic thing. Trust the Holy Spirit will actually give you an internal conviction, that you'll feel a tug or a pull. There'll be something there that will be, be saying, like, yeah, I really connect with that. I really think maybe I have that. When you ask other people that you trust, they're going to confirm it in you. We have a, a class coming up called Calling Lab, and you can talk to Pastor Tommy afterwards if you're interested in signing up. And it's going to be a one-day workshop in about, I think, three Saturdays. And that's going to be a class that's going to help you discover your personality and, your, and your, your learned gifts and your natural gifts, but also your spiritual gifts. I think the Holy Spirit can work in that and trust Him to confirm it. The second thing is that you need to begin to diagnose your complaints. What you complain about oftentimes will show you where your gifts are. So if you complain the church isn't loving enough or hospitable enough, you probably have some love gifts. If you complain that the teaching ministry of the church isn't as dynamic as you want it to be, there needs to be more Bible studies, probably have some word gifts. And if you think the church is too quiet and subdued in worship and prayers being neglected, you probably have some power gifts. Diagnose your complaints because what you complain about or what you think can reveal what your gifts are. And then third, analyze the ease, notice the frequency, test the results, and feel the closeness of Jesus. Analyze the ease at which certain things come to you. So if you notice that you just have a heart of compassion that wells up in you, you don't even have to work at it, you're not trying to control it, you just, you have compassion for people, and, and when you see people broken and oppressed and overlooked, your heart just is moved towards them. And it just, it comes to you easily. You probably have the gift of mercy. So notice the ease at which certain things come to you that correspond with the gifts. Second, test or examine, notice the frequency. You see, if you notice that you oftentimes get in conversations with people about faith, you may have the gift of evangelism. Or if you're that go-to person for people when they're looking for guidance, you may have the gift of discernment or words of knowledge or wisdom. So you need to notice the frequency at which some of these things interact with you in your life. And then test the results. You see, many of these gifts we're all called as Christians to be about, or to be about mercy and compassion and, and exhortation, encouragement. Many of these gifts. But if it is a spiritual gift, it will have greater results in your life. Meaning you may notice that when you exhort someone and encourage someone, that it typically ends up really sticking with them and propelling them forward. Or you may notice that sometimes when you get around a problem or a team or an opportunity in the church and you begin to think about planning and strategizing and reorganizing, that it typically tends to really work well. You may have the gift of administration. See the, check the results and test them. And then lastly, 
feel the closeness of Jesus. You see, when you're operating out of your spiritual gifts, you're going to feel close to God, to his spirit, to Christ. The presence of God will be known to you. There will be a joy and a a feeling that you can't quite explain because you're operating in the way that God has gifted you. You see, if the Holy Spirit gives you gifts and empowers them in you, then when you use them, you're going to sense the Spirit in a more profound way than when you're operating outside your gifts. So when you feel the closeness of Jesus when you're serving in different ways and when you're engaging in certain gifts, it may be a marker or a signal that you have that gift. So keep these handy as we walk through and as we think about what are the gifts that the Holy Spirit has given you. Tonight we're going to look at the love gifts, and there's four of them. Administration, helps, mercy, and giving. And as I said, next week we'll look at the word gifts, and then two weeks from now, the power gifts. Let me just pray for us really briefly as we look at these gifts. And I'm going to pray for those of you that have these gifts, that they would really be confirmed in you as you hear about them. Will you pray with me? Holy Spirit, we just ask that as we look at these gifts that you've given to your church, that you would confirm and convict, give a tug to some of us here that have these gifts. Will you make it known? God, would be very clear. Holy Spirit, we trust you to do that. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So love gifts manifest the love of God in practical ways. They manifest the love of God in practical ways. And love gifts are supportive gifts. Meaning, love gifts support the mission and the vision of the church set out by the leadership. Remember I said that spiritual gifts are guaranteed places of power to serve from in the church for the common good. You're one body, many members, and you're to use your gifts for the body. So the, the love gifts are to be used in the church as support for the vision and for the mission of the church. And they are so, so important. Without love gifts, you don't really have the backbone of a church to support all that God has called the church to do. So the first gift of love is the gift of administration, sometimes called guidance. There's a great definition. I'm going to read it to you. It's too long to put on the screen, but if you, if you text it on the app, the definitions are all there. The gift of administration is this. It involves a capacity to manage details of service functions so as to support and free those in leadership to prioritize their efforts. This is the gift of organization, of guidance. It's the person that's like, I love spreadsheets. Like, I love them a lot. But not only do you love spreadsheets, but when you look at a problem, your mind constantly goes, okay, how can we fit the, the pieces are out of accord, and they need to be kind of adjusted. And if we move this here, and this person came there, and if we started to do that, then I think that it would get us to our goal. You see, people that have the gift of administration or guidance, they're not concerned with the where, they're concerned with the how. Like, how are we going to, that's a great vision, wonderful, but how are we going to do that? How are we going to get there? It's where your mind goes. In 1 Corinthians 12, 27, 28, here's what the Apostle Paul writes when he mentions this gift. He says, you are the body of Christ and individual members of it. 
God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, helping, administrating various kinds of tongues. Notice he says administrating. That word there is actually the word helmsman. It's a nautical word. And it is referring to the person that steers a ship. It's the person that receives orders from the captain. Hey, here's where we need to go. And then their job is to figure out the fastest and most efficient and safest way to get there. How are we going to drive this ship there? That's what the gift of administration does and brings to the church. Helps to drive the church and steer the church to its vision. It's vital. See, one of the things that's really important to, to understand, though, is that if you have the gift of administration and you have not engaged in conversations and in places in the church where you can actually be a part of helping to organize and build structure and help to steer the ship, you're probably perpetually frustrated. You probably show up and you're like, oh, I'm so frustrated by this, and why don't they get that right if they just did this? But if you're not in a place to actually help steer it, you're just going to constantly be frustrated. You need to engage to help support and bring your gifting some of the markers here, as I said, you love organizing and streamlining and clarifying. You're concerned for the whole group and how you're going to move the whole group to their goals. You're constantly thinking about how to help other people get to where they want to go. And you have a profound joy when you begin to help sort things out and bring your administrative gifts. The gift of administration. The second gift is the gift of helps or service. Here's a great definition. The gift of helps refers to the capacity to unselfishly meet the needs of others through very practical service. In Romans 12, Paul's listing the gifts, and in verse 7, he says, if service in our serving. Here are some signs if you have the gift of helps. You find joy in doing simple and even messy tasks that are needed to be done in the church. When you see a need and when you can step in and just help, whether it's, it's helping set out the coffee or joining the gather team and helping set out the tent, whatever it may be, you find joy in just meeting a need. You're a behind-the-scenes kind of person. You don't need praise. You're not doing it because you feel obligated. You're not doing it because people are going to look at you and be like, wow, look how hard they're working. You're doing it because you just love to step in the gap and meet needs. There's a lot of people in this church that have this gift. I'll tell you. I've seen it. You see, why this gift is so important and vital, it is not to be neglected. Oftentimes, people can overlook this gift because oftentimes these people are in the shadows or behind the scenes, just serving and meeting needs. So this gift provides the backbone for the church to do what it's called to do, to reach its vision. And if you have the gift of helps, you are most likely, even though you don't know it, inspiring other people to find their gifts and use them. Because what happens is people notice. They see that person that's always stepping up, always saying yes, always engaging. And they say, man, they're, look how much they're doing. They're not looking for any credit. What am I doing? How can I step in the gap? How can I use my gifts? Such an important gift. Third is the gift of mercy. Verse 8 Apostle Paul says, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. This gift is about compassion and empathy and showering other people with gracious 
favor. A description would, or definition would be the gift of mercy demonstrates cheerful service to those in great need. If you have the gift of mercy, when you see a need and someone's in crisis, it's an immediate need, whether emotional or physical or mental, your heart breaks just to, to engage. When you're around people and they're going through something, you can tell that something is weighing upon them. You have that urge just to give them a hug and just cry with them. You're, you're the kind of person that is probably full of compassion and empathy for not only your friends, but for strangers. You cry in almost every movie. Things break your heart. And it, it doesn't, it's, it's not coming out of some kind of like self-righteousness. It just erupts in you. You just have this divine love and compassion and care for people. You have empathy for others and you want to embrace them. In Acts 9.36, there's a, a, a character there. Her name is Dorcas. One of the greatest names of all time. Dorcas. Wow. She had the gift of mercy. And it says that she was always doing good and helping the poor. You see, people have the gift of mercy. They care for others and love others and look to meet immediate needs and it brings them great joy. A great example is Mother Teresa. Just her heart broke for people in India. She gave her life to just show compassion and care and mercy. You may be thinking, okay, what, what's the difference between the gift of helps and the gift of mercy? See, the gift of helps is focused on meeting needs in the church. Specific service needs, whatever they may be. Stepping in, filling a gap, joining a serve team, doing whatever is necessary to make the church function well. The gift of mercy is concerned with looking at immediate needs. It's a, it's a breaking for those that are broken or oppressed or overlooked or in immediate distress, emotional pain and physical pain. And it may be contained within the people in the church, but it could be for those outside as well, for strangers and people in your office. It's focused on the immediate needs and, and brokenness. And lastly, we have the gift of giving. Verse, 12, verse 8 in 1 Corinthians 12 says, the one who contributes in generosity. A definition for the gift of giving refers to the capacity to give liberally to meet the needs of others, and yet to do so with purity of motive, which sense that the giving is a simple sharing of what God has given. Here's one of the things that happens when you talk about the gift of giving. A lot of people, you're like, I don't want that gift, and I don't think I have that gift. So if you have the gift of giving, go for it. See, the gift of giving is about giving of resources, and especially financial resources, but it doesn't mean that if you don't have the gift that you're not supposed to give, right? It's just like if you don't have the gift of mercy, you're just like, I don't have to be compassionate. Wonderful. It's that if you have the gift of giving, this is, it, it preoccupies your mind. You're constantly thinking about how can we bring more resources to the church? How can we inspire a greater level of generosity? You're probably earmarking some of your funds for opportunities to help meet needs, financial needs. You're thinking of ways to, to increase that culture of generosity. Oftentimes, if you have the gift of giving, you're probably frustrated and confused at why people don't give. You probably think, to yourself, I just don't understand why people don't give. 
And, and the whole debate around the percentage, you're like, wait, why is there a debate? Just give 10%. That's, if you have the gift of giving, that's where you're at. Like, we just give. It's, it's wonderful. It's joy. It's worship. It's about really propelling the gospel forward with the mission. You feel a deep sense of stewarding what God's given you. It doesn't necessarily mean that you're wealthy, though you may be. There's an incredible example of the gift of giving at, at my former church. There was uh, a family there, and they were, they were ve- very wealthy. And uh, the husband had the gift of giving. And he gave to the church. He gave 10% to the church. It's just kind of normal tithe. But he wanted to really exercise and deploy his gift in the church. And so he created a fund called God's Pocket. And here's what he said to the church leadership. I want to, he said, I want to remain anonymous. I don't want anyone to know that this fund is resourced by me. And I, what I want you to do is I want you to use the money that I put in this fund. He put $20,000 every month. He said, I want you to use this to meet immediate needs in the church. So he had the gift of mercy too. He said, I want you to use this to help someone buy a car. I want you to use this to help keep somebody's light, lights on. I want you to use this to help a family that can't for groceries. I want you to use this to pay for someone's medical bills. He said, I don't want anyone to know who I am. I just want to report every single month and just tell me how the money was used and I will refill it with $20,000 every single month. I just want to hear how you're going to use it. You see, if you hear that story and you think, I really wish I could do that one day, you probably have the gift of giving. It's an amazing gift. See, all these gifts, all these love gifts are so extremely important because they manifest the love of God in practical ways in the church. They reveal the love of God. You see, if you have the gift of administration or the gift of helps, the gift of mercy or the gift of giving, when you use your gift, you show the rest of us the love of Jesus. That's amazing. It's an amazing gift gift. And you show us a great love. You see, Jesus, he was, his life was administrated by the Spirit as he sought the Spirit's guidance of where to go. Jesus obviously poured out his life as a ministry of helps, looking to meet needs and really to enable his followers as well, his disciples, to to use their gifts, to support them in the using of their gifts, even in his public ministry. Jesus had the gift of mercy. He was full of compassion. His heart broke for people oppressed and overlooked. And he certainly had the gift of giving because he gave everything, including his life. Jesus shows us what it looks like to use and to deploy the love gifts. You see, if tonight you're feeling a tug on one of those gifts. You're like, man, I think I have the gift of mercy or giving or ministration or helps. Or maybe you're thinking, man, I'm kind of feeling like I struck out there because I don't think I have any of those gifts. I'll tell you that don't get down on yourself because I don't, I don't have any of these gifts. I don't have any love gifts, so don't judge me. <laughs> but we have two more weeks, so hopefully I have a couple there. You see, regardless of how you're interacting with these love gifts tonight, whether you're feeling a, a pull or whether you're, you're awaiting the next two weeks because that's where your gifts lie or, or maybe you're just 
still waiting to receive the greatest gift, which is the gift of faith that's given through belief in Jesus and what he's done. There's a command to all of us. And I love this verse. It's probably one of my favorite verses in the entire Bible. It's Hebrews 4.16. charges us with this. Come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. My charge to us, church, is that we would come boldly to the throne of grace. We would ask the Spirit to confirm gifts in us. For those of us that don't have love gifts, that we would celebrate those that do and anticipate the Spirit confirming those gifts in the following weeks. And for those of us here that are maybe still struggling with doubt and haven't received the gift of faith yet, come boldly to Jesus. He offers a gift of faith freely to everyone that believe that he died for your sin, was buried and rose from the dead. It's freely given to you and will bring transformation to your life. And the Holy Spirit will bring you gifts then when you come to believe in faith in Christ. Will you pray with me? God, we just thank you that you give us gifts. We don't deserve any more than your salvation that you freely offer to us through faith. But we thank you, Lord, that you have apportioned certain gifts to us and you've given us the joy of being able to use them to serve from and to to see the way that you can use us for the common good of others. God, we pray that Tonight, those of us here that are feeling a, a tug and or a, a conviction, a, an awakening that some of these love gifts are gifts that have been given, that you would confirm it tonight, that you would begin to develop these gifts in those of us that have them, God, that you would make way and make known ways for us to deploy them and to use them so we can experience the power that comes from serving for the common good in the church in the way that you've made us and designed us. So God, we pray that right now as we come boldly to the throne of grace, that you would move in us and that your presence would be known and felt. It's in Jesus' name that we pray.